Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm William Friedman, and today we're studying Ketubot 46. Today's Daf continues the discussion of the case of, the, of, the case of Motzi Shemra that we've been discussing now for a few days. Recall that yesterday we saw briefly mentioned a debate between the sages and Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov over whether a false pre-coital accusation of, accusation of infidelity incurs the Torah's punishments of lashing and a monetary fine. Now, that was a long sentence, so let me say it a little bit simpler. Um, the Torah, in the case of Motzi Shemra, the false claim filed by a man um, that the woman he just married has was what, commit, had sex with somebody else after they had been promised to marry, but before they actually had married. Um, and the Torah says that if the claim there is false, he gets lashed and a fine is imposed. Um, but the Torah introduces the case as that only happens if they've actually had sex. So the question that we talked about yesterday and we'll talk about a little bit more today is, what if they have not had sex? Um, is this, does the Torah still impose its same fine? And most of the daf today actually goes through this debate in which the sages say whether or not they had actually had intercourse if the claim is false, the Torah's full punishments apply. But Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, hold on, give me a break, come on. The Torah actually says that they had had sex. Um, so you can't tell me that the Torah would impose its fines and its lashes to somebody whom they had, who, when the couple had not actually had sex, if the charge proves false. Um, but the Gemara is very clever, and the Gemara goes through all the different places in this parasha, in this place in the Torah, in, in, that, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, um, in which the, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 22, in which the sages, uh, in which you can sort of see that clearly the Torah is assuming they've had sex, and it rereads them so it works for the position of the sages who say that this could apply even if they had not had sex. So today, right now, um, we are going to read a passage. It's part of this flow in the Gemara, but in fact, it's actually going to trigger a much bigger conversation about what the simple meaning, the pshat, or the literal meaning of a Torah passage really is. Um, so we're going to start near the bottom of 46a. Bishlama rela Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, hainu dichtiv ufarasu hasimla, so here we need to go back to the Torah for a second. And there's this dramatic reveal moment where the father presents evidence that, in fact, his daughter was a virgin on her wedding night with this man who's accusing her of having committed infidelity. They whip out this sheet. Um, and it's either the bed sheet or it's probably whatever, some maybe some clothing that she was still wearing, even though they were having sex, whatever it is. But it's the sheet that's supposed to have on it um, the uh, the bitulim, the, the blood that proves that, in fact, um, she was a virgin. And obviously, there's a lot to be spoken about here in terms of physical virginity, social virginity, um, but uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to deal with that right at the moment. Um, in any case, the Torah um, has this idea that the garment is just whipped open, ufar um, 
And so that clearly seems to imply <laughs> that the couple had had sex. And therefore, it works well with the position of Rebbe Yelzer ben Yaakov, who says that the Torah is only talking about a case where they'd have had sex. But the sages who say that this whole procedure could apply even if they had not actually had intercourse, how the heck are they going to understand this whipping out of a sheet? There's no sheet to be whipped out in such a case where they had not had intercourse. So the Amora Rebbe Yabahu responds. Amar Rebbe Yabahu, Perishu ma shesamlah. So he does a very, very clever rereading of the words, and he parses them very, very differently. This would uh, get I would give one of my Talmud students an F if they read the Pasuk this way, um, not knowing what it was they were doing. Um, but Rabbi Bahu says, don't think Ufarasu Hasimla should be read as they uh, they whip out the sheet, but rather Perishu, reading the sin as a shin, they explained Mashasamla that which he, meaning the, the husband who's bringing the charge that might very well be false, um, that which he placed upon her, right? So simla, um, there we don't even have to change the, the sin. It's still being read as a sin, but um, they're splitting the word as opposed to simla. They're splitting it into sam and la. Okay, so Rabbi Bahu does this clever reread, and he says that yeah, we can actually just understand this as um, they... They are explaining the charges that were brought against the against the woman by this by her new husband, and then they attach it to a baraita, and it's this baraita that I think is extraordinarily fascinating. Kedatanya, as it was taught, ufarasu hasimla melamed shebain edim shalzeh veedim shalzeh uvorina tadavar kesimla chadasha. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov Omer devarim kichtavan simla mamash. So they take Ufarasuha Simla, they spread out the garment, and say that that teaches, according to the sages, that the witnesses of this one and the witnesses of that one come, right? So, i.e. the husband's witnesses and the, and the girl's witnesses, right, that the father is bringing on her behalf, and they, they clarify the thing. And so then, what's what's going on with the simla, right? There's we've got witnesses now. Um, so what's what's the deal with the Torah's use of simla? It's a metaphor. Uvarina tadavar kisimla chadasha. And it means that they clarify things like a new garment. And this sort of has two possible meanings. Like a new garment either means a new garment isn't dirty, right? Doesn't have any dirt attached to it. Um, and that's kind of a metaphor for for testimony in a court case, right? It's supposed to clear away any obscuring dirt. Um, the other possibility is that the new garment idea is that maybe it's a white garment, um, and white obviously has the sense of purity and truth and uh, simplicity and sort of um, that uh, that maybe that's the simla chadasha here that it's white, it's clean, it's clear. Um, in any case, uh, the point is that here the bereita, the sages in the bereita read parsua simla metaphorically, not referring to an actual garment, but referring to a garment as a metaphor for uh, for getting the real truth out there. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, excuse me, the matters are exactly as he wrote them, i.e. as the Torah, as God wrote them. Simla mamash, an actual simla. So, um, the truth is actually, from a literary point of view, we're much more attracted to Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov's position because it seems to match the words of the Torah. But in fact, if you're in the rabbinic world, it's much more difficult to justify his position. Why? Because the rabbis have transformed all court cases 
into battling testimony of actual human witnesses who can be cross-examined. Now, it's not to say that physical evidence can't be brought as part of a court case, but that witnesses would inevitably need to be part of the of the the fundamental part of the decision-making process. Um, so, in fact, it's the sages here who are reading the Torah, quote-unquote, simply in terms of their legal context where witnesses are at the core of court cases. And it's Rabbi Eliezer Minyako's position that's much harder to justify. Why is he justifying an exception to the regular rabbinic rule that you have to have witnesses by saying, nope, you can just whip out a garment and it, quote-unquote, speaks for itself? So... Um, here we need to consult the commentators uh, and the Ramban, Nachmanides, from the 13th century in Spain. Um, so he says, actually, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov made sense. Why? Because even throughout the Tanaitic period, let alone in the Torah's time, but in the Tanaitic period still, the sheet was still in use. And so the literal reading of the Torah made practical sense, right? In other words, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov is saying, look, what the Torah says is what we still do. There's a sheet that can be taken out by the woman's guardians, by witnesses on her behalf, and you just need to bring the sheet. We have it, we understand it, and that's good enough, right? He's going to carve out an exception because it actually matches the social reality. Now, it's interesting because the Meiri, who's a mid-13th century Spain from, sage from uh, uh, Barcelona, the larger political entity, Barcelona is from actually from Perpignan in southern France. In any case, the Meiri says that even so, we should prefer the metaphorical read, um, and that's because it accords better with rabbinic testimonial law, right? Um, so even though we decide the law says the Meiri, like Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, um, really, um, it's not based on a literal read of the verse. Um, so this is, I think, utterly fascinating, and there's a lot to be said about different hermeneutic strategies and the seesaw between the preference for hewing close to the presumed literal meaning of the Torah versus engaging in a more metaphorical reading of it. Um, but today, right now, what I want to do is just emphasize that fidelity to the Torah's text as a text is only one value, um, even for the so-called literal readers, right? According to the Ramban, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov could only say what he said because the Torah's the literal reading of the Torah still made sense in his context. Um, but in general, both quote-unquote literal readers and quote-unquote metaphorical readers are engaged in the same project. This is why they can still talk to each other. And that project is, what is it that the Torah is demanding of us? What is it that makes sense and is the most just thing to do in our social context? And I would say that that's controlling how they read the Torah. Even when they read it literally, they, the literal reading is because it still makes sense. And they think that actually following the letter of the Torah is also observing its spirit. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently. And that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead. Available on Bandcamp iTunes, and Spotify.